You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IVT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years of It's coming. But first, you've heard me on this platform touting NRS, a great company whose many dedicated employees I get to see in action. NRS Pay has recently launched its new cost-cutting program called Cash Discount. The way it works is any vendor using NRS Pay Cash Discount has their sale register tabulating automatically a dual pricing, which offers customers a choice of a cash payment, which could result in an up to 4% discount over swiping their card. If your business meets the $18,000 a month threshold, there's absolutely no monthly fee to incur. NRS Pay Cash Discount makes it less expensive to accept credit cards, so you'll save money while helping your customers save at the same time. NRS is offering a time-limited deal right now on this state-of-the-art system. You'll get a free card reader with zero hidden fees, no long-term contract, and no early termination fee, which means you can switch your processing plan without penalty. NRS Pay is a proud part of the IDT Corporation that I've been associated with for over 10 years and has integrity built into its corporate DNA. I know its founder, its officers, and salespeople, and they truly stand by their product and will help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Check nrspay.com for more information or call 833-289-2767. And now, Emeritus Rex. 75 years into Medina Sisroil, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Pupko. Rabbi Pupko, it's been a while, and I know that since we last got together in this way, uh, you have actually been there to Israel. There are, of course, events on the ground uh, in the last couple of days. So let's work a little bit backwards. Let's first talk about how you see the hostage release in terms of, does it strengthen Hamas? Does it give Hamas more credibility? Does it, in, in a way take our eyes off the ball of finishing the job? You know, I, I think that anybody who uh, who was thinking clearly uh, on October 7th and 8th, and that was difficult, understood immediately that there were two goals uh, to the impending Israeli attack on Gaza. And the two goals were, number one, removing Hamas. And we have to define that. It's easy to say, but it has to be defined. And rescuing the hostages. And we also understood that there would be moments when those two objectives would clash. And what happened was, after the, uh, the initial uh, days of bombings, when a ground incursion was imminent some weeks ago, uh, Hamas began to release uh, hostages, uh, the mother and daughter from Chicago. And that that was a cynical attempt to try to use the hostages to delay or 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 impede a, uh, a, a the ground incursion, and Israel ignored it completely, as they had to do, and they went ahead and they went into North Gaza. They've uh, uh, they did what they've you know what everyone now knows they've done in in North Gaza, and and they destroyed the Hamas infrastructure, uh, got the weapons, revealed the tunnels under the hospital. They did what they had to do in, in North Gaza. Hamas was under enormous amount of pressure uh, militarily. The casualties on the Israeli side, painful as they were, were significantly less than people expected. 
Israel was moving methodically and slowly and carefully, driven by the desire to limit uh, Israeli casualties and Palestinian uh, civilian casualties. And the pressure was building in uh, Gaza, Hamas, and the pressure was rising in Israel for a hostage uh, release. So those two things came together in this, what we've seen over the last week of uh, successive releases day by day of, uh, of Israeli hostages, uh, women and children, uh, some foreign nationals uh, on a three to one basis. And so far, uh, we've had uh, 50 or so who have been released and uh, about 150 is, uh, Palestinian prisoners have been released. Israel is committed 100% not to allow this pause to, uh, to go on much further. And Israel is committed to going into southern Gaza to further degrade uh, Hamas's capability, uh, capabilities to ever attack Israel again and to capture or kill Hamas leadership and to destroy Hamas infrastructure. It's obviously going to be much more difficult in the south now that the nearly the entire population of the north is living there. There are many more civilians in the way. Uh, the Americans are intervening with advice slash pressure for Israel not to engage in a major movement of the civilian population again. How that impacts the military planning on Israel, in Israel is a uh, an open question. But uh, Israel is 100% committed from the most from the left to the right. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that all over the United States and perhaps the world, the cameras are on the hostages that are being released, you know, as if, you know, in the celebratory sense, without recognizing that these were people that were ripped out of their houses brutally, sometimes after seeing their their wives and children uh, murdered. So, you know, the, the idea that Hamas is somehow a benevolent partner Despite, you know, the past, you know, I, I, I want to note uh, one of our favorite punching bags, the New York Times, when it talked about the hostage release and it talked about, you mentioned the one for three, it, it mentions the disfigured Palestinian woman who was released. Of course, she was disfigured because she was driving a car with a car bomb attached to it, and which exploded at a checkpoint uh, that disfigured her. So, you know, the this whole tableau has it has it given public relations muscle to Hamas I, I would say two things uh, number one Israel has never been better at PR and Israel has never cared less about PR uh, both are true Israel Israelis no longer care what the Guardian newspaper has to say what BBC has to say the position of the left is so patently absurd and so contrary to basic humanity that Israel cares less and less about it. Also, they care less and less about it because the necessity, the absolute necessity of destroying Hamas trumps any concern for public relations. Israel is, Israel is not a public relations cause for diaspora Jews. It's not, that's not what it is. Israel is a sovereign country that has to worry about its interests and securing its civilians. It's not an ad campaign. And, and the fact is, Israel's PR is, I think, is better than ever. I think the IDF spokesman is doing a great job. I think IDF, I think Israeli representatives on TV are, are making a persuasive case. I believe that public opinion in the U.S. is solidly behind Israel. 
with the exception of eight people who are 18 to 24, who are not exactly renowned for intelligence to begin with. Yeah, well, again, even though you say that the Israeli spokesmen have been articulate and have uh, intelligently shown uh, the justice of their cause, we know the deaf ears that it's falling on. And, of course, that I think is... The, the polls don't bear that out. The polls show continued high support for Israel in America. We have lost the loudest voices, yes. Those who have their hands on the levers of the culture and the media and in academia, we have lost irrevocably. We lost them 30 years ago, and there's no chance of getting them back. When you have progressive liberals, right, who believe in uh, all of the enlightened values of our moment, uh, find it uh, acceptable to chant medieval primitive slogans like glory to our martyrs, you know you have no one to talk to. There is no one to talk to. Yes, but again, you know, they are able to close down highways uh, on the Northeast Corridor. Uh, Which only diminishes their popularity. The purpose of those demonstrations is not to persuade the public or to pressure politicians. The purpose of those demonstrations, and people need to understand this, is simply a raw display of power to intimidate and to terrorize. If you understand the Islamic mindset and understand how they envision the future and of their own power and, you know, and and domination of the world, these demonstrations are in sync with all of that. And at the end of the day, the demonstrations are hurting them, not helping them. The only thing you have to worry about possibly in the U.S. is the case being made by some in the Democratic Party to Biden. That given the the small number of states that are still swing states, and given the, the the reliance on the Democrats on that demographic, on the, on the progressive demogra- demographic in, in tight elections, that they're possibly alienating some. I don't believe it. I believe the Democratic Party will do better as a friend of Israel rather than worse. I think most Americans, as all the polls show, support the state of Israel in this conflict. They have no appetite for Hamas. And by the way. European leaders that we all gave up on years ago are much more pro-Israel today than they've ever been. The Labour Party leader in England rejected a ceasefire call. I'm not talking about the Conservative government, right? Yeah, you have outliers. You have, uh, you know, uh, you, you have Ireland. You have Spain. But generally speaking, Germany, France, Britain have been completely on side. In terms of giving them some more time and giving them some more time to regroup, we know the, the sheet of Tesis in Haloch in the Gemara and Gitin that says that you're not paid the Shvuyim during Milchama. You're not, you don't redeem hostages because by giving them monies and funds, they can now use that against you. That same idea, that intellectual idea that I'm trying to put on the table to you means that Hamas in this pause does have time perhaps to get through the tunnels or whatever way they have of transporting to themselves, perhaps more weapons or more other ways to fight in the South. Oh, there's no question. There's going to be a price to pay for this. I mean, it's not, I mean, I, I hate to say the words, but there's no question that more Israeli lives will be lost down the road of the military conflict because of this. No question. But it was a calculation that the Israeli government came to after painful uh, thought and, 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 you know, and consideration. And I, and I, and I would assume that part of it was also pressure from, uh, whether it was from Biden, the State Department, uh, to start moving in this direction because of the diplomatic backroom discussions that were going on about the hostages and the voices of the families of the hostages. 
every Jew in the world, every decent human being in the world, was tormented by the thought of those poor kids in Hamas's hands. And that was certainly became more and more of a pressing priority for Israel, which led them to this, you know, uh, decision to go ahead with it, even though it would provide Hamas some breathing space. Ayn Barak, I mentioned to you before we started recording, uh, he um, wrote an opinion piece, which is available in Haaretz, I believe probably in Hebrew and English, uh, where he said that the importance is clearly the victory against Hamas, but this became more urgent. And I thought that was a good way uh, yeah. to parse the idea. He also says in that opinion piece, and I recommend our listeners to to search it out, that he believes that the plan for after needs to already be on the table and, and done in a way, first of all, articulated to the Jewish people, but also to Israel's partners uh, in support. And he doesn't believe that Netanyahu has been doing this. He doesn't believe that Netanyahu is perceived as a credible partner by the United States and others. Uh, in other words, the plan afterwards, uh, instead of this idea of Israel governing for an indeterminate amount of time, the whole Gaza Strip, uh, there should already be uh, a discussion about a, a Arab-led coalition that is in charge, uh, tapping into Egypt, Jordan, uh, and any of the signatures to the Abraham Accords, perhaps Saudi Arabia are behind it. And in this way, uh, strengthening the idea that Israel is going to get out and also reestablishing the PA as a uh, viable presence. I, I, okay, here's the problem. There's not a single plan that I've heard that sounds um, compelling or or has a great chance of success. Let's go slowly one by one. Let's say installing the PA in in Gaza. Right now, the PA is 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 very unpopular in the West Bank and in Gaza. Right now, Hamas is very popular. They delivered what many Palestinians want to see: dead Jews and released prisoners. And again, the Palestinian Authority is viewed as corrupt and and and, and uh, not having served the interests of the Palestinian people. Also, the Palestinian Authority has spent their days since October 7th claiming that they were involved in October 7th, taking, you know, trying to share in the reflected glory of October 7th. Uh, they are the ones who still continue to pay the terrorists, uh, you know, a monthly stipend. These are the ones, you know, who still teach in their schools stuff about Jews, not all that different than what is being taught in, has been taught in Gaza. So I don't know if anybody should want the PA there. I'm, I'm not sure anybody would accept the PA there. Arab countries, I think, are too damn smart to want to get involved in managing the Palestinian affairs. They know it's a loser's gambit, and they, they, they don't want to subject their their uh, their soldiers to it or, or anybody else. So I, I don't know. I, I think when Barack criticizes Bibi for not having a plan, well, well give me a plan that will work. I don't think Bibi has a plan because there is no plan. The only thing that I've read that makes any sense is whatever happens in Gaza, no matter who's in control, Israel can no longer allow those borders to be under, under anybody's control but their own. I mean, there were obviously truckloads of continuous weapons coming into Gaza from, from, from the Sinai Desert that Egypt didn't stop. Israel's going to have to permanently, or at least for the foreseeable future, have a buffer zone with Gaza on the Israeli side, 
and border control on the other side, the Philadelphia Strip. I mean, they, Israel cannot allow this to, re, to to come back again. Let's talk a little bit about uh, something that I do believe uh, has reverberations. Now, it's possible that they don't need much of an excuse, but there, you know, there still is this uh, incredible uptick uh, that was pointed to by the head of the FBI, and is still the case of anti-Semitic actions that are still happening in Moss. Uh, something, of course, you might have seen last week, the teacher in the Hillcrest High School in Queens who attended the Israeli uh, the rally, uh, the March for Israel, posted a picture on her social media of her standing at the rally carrying a sign that said, I stand with Israel. And we know that a virtual riot ensued in that school where the mostly urban black population uh, of that school basically you know, chanting again with Palestinian ideology, uh, forced her to hide in her in her room. Again, it's obvious whether it's an outlier situation or not, uh, there still is a palpable fear. Uh, I had a friend who said to me that all his contacts in Israel are saying, we're scared for you guys in America about what's going on. Do you believe this is overblown as well? No. Listen, I hear about it on a daily basis from just what's going on in Montreal. We've had uh, 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 fire bombings at Jewish institutions. Thankfully, they don't know how to make a Molotov cocktail. We've had uh, shootings at empty buildings of school, Jewish school buildings. Uh, we had an imam call for the murder of Jews. I mean, they, you know, it's everywhere, but it's, it's also on a very personal level. That means law office partners are are being subjected to uh, anti-Semitic uh, harassment. It's uh, happening in hospitals with, you know, Arab or Muslim uh, residents uh, posting horrible things and, you know, and, and, and their superiors and teachers in the hospitals uh, don't know how to deal with this stuff. We've seen it from medical students. I mean, it's it's happening in every arena of life. It's happening in not just universities, it's happening in high schools. As you just mentioned in Queens, it's happening even in elementary schools. We had a story here of a nine-year-old Jewish kid being bullied by Arab kids in an elementary school and not being allowed to enter the school building. The anti-Semitism that's been unleashed uh, is is of a scale we've never seen before. Uh, it's in every town and every city, you know, all over the U.S. and Canada and all over Europe. You were quick to quote to me the polls that mentioned how strongly the average American supports Israel and that uh, support for Israel is strong. And yet we see the, these outbreaks of anti-Semitism. It's overwhelmingly coming from Muslims. What people don't understand and what people, or maybe maybe they do, I don't know, is that the that October the 7th, the murder of Jews, of 1,200 Jews on October the 7th, emboldened the anti-Semite around the world. They felt exhilarated by it. They, they were inspired to, you know, to carry out their own mini attacks, right? It was exhilarating for them, as the Professor Russell Rickford from Cornell said. That's what happened here. The spectacle of murdered Jews emboldened anti-Semites around the world. This is not about concern for Palestinian civilians. This is not about being anti-Israel uh, because they're bombing uh, Gaza. This is one thing and one thing only. This is the anti-Semite feeling it's their day. Their day has arrived. Look, 1,200 Jews were murdered. We all know that, of course, there are anti-Muslim uh, uh, acts as well, but they are of note. No scale comparable to what's going on uh, against Jews. And again, 
the perpetrator of the anti-Semitic acts, the real nature of them is often obscured because people are reluctant to identify the ethnicity. That's right. But again, I would, I'll be out here in, in Emeritus Rex to say that it's not only Muslims, but as it was in Hillcrest, we're talking about, uh, the urban black population does not need much to be incited. We saw that with the knockout games that everybody remembered before COVID. Let me explain something that people don't understand about the current moment of anti-Semitism. A lot of this is just old-fashioned, ancient anti-Semitism wrapped up in postmodernist vocabulary. Uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is that when you have an ideology that uh, believes that past victimization grants you special status for all eternity, where if you suffered slavery 150 years ago, or your land was taken from you 400 years ago by Christopher Columbus, that forever you deserve, you have a claim on the conscience of the West, and you deserve special privileges for all time, where once you achieve the status of victim, it is never surrendered. And once you are a victim, you are considered pious and righteous. Your, 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 Your claims are always... Uh, embraced. If you're guilty of racism yourself, you are excused. And th- that's the reality. The Jewish story is the greatest contrary evidence to that, right? Because we were victimized more than anybody, but we refused to be victims. The hatred for the Jew today in progressive circles is because we are the flamboyant repudiation of how they see the world. That's the reality. Let's talk about your trip to Israel. Uh, I know it, it was a, it, because of it, uh, our usual programming uh, was delayed a week. Talk about why you went and what are some of the uh, treasures that you garnered uh, on that trip? I, I, you know, I traveled with five members of parliament from Canada. It was important for them to see firsthand what had happened there and to hear from Israelis directly what had happened. Uh, we visited the sites of the massacres in the south. Obviously, uh, you know, terrible, terrible places. So tell me about the reaction of, of, of the ones that were with you, especially the non-Jewish ones. Was there uh, a oh, it's overwhelming, uh, overwhelming dis- disgust and anger at what Hamas did. So you toured, you toured those areas. What, what else was part of your itinerary? Well, we met with families who had been, uh, you know, uh, who are now dislocated from their uh, homes in the south. They are now on Kibbutzim near Tel Aviv or elsewhere. We met with uh, a mother whose daughter is a hostage, still a hostage. We met with uh, families who had, uh, you know, lost their parents in in, in, the, in the violence. Well, what, what was your impression about the the mood of these uh, so, these people who have been so terrorized and victimized? Exactly what you would expect it to be. They were talking about heartbroken and sometimes traumatized people. Uh, let me tell you one story so you understand a little bit better. There was a young uh, a young man who uh, went to the concert to celebrate his birthday. He went with 30 friends. 29 of them were killed. He and one friend were survived uh, the massacre at the concert. A few days after the concert, that one remaining friend committed suicide. There are several, several suicides after uh, after the concert of young people who couldn't endure what they had endured. And, uh, and that's the reality. The trauma in Israel. Israel, the grief in Israel is deep. The wound is deep. The scar left behind, you know, are, ter- are terrifying to contemplate. The scale of this, the numbers of people affected, those whose family members were killed, those who survived 
hiding for 20 hours in a safe room. The trauma is lingering. It's, it's no question that no one, no one uh, is ready for this kind of, of trauma. The numbers of people affected, no one can be ready for it. Did you, I'm sure you met with some of the Israeli troops. And that's an entirely different experience. I mean, we're talking about uh, most wonderful young people you'll ever meet, incredible people. They're highly motivated, highly determined, filled with great pride. They know exactly what the mission is. They're prepared. And uh, they are, remember, the call-up was, what, 150%? People who weren't called went. Everybody went. And anybody who isn't in uniform is helping uh, in other ways. Uh, you know, tending to the farms, helping mothers who's with kids whose husbands are away at war. Uh, everybody's volunteering. Everybody, the creative community on the left, everybody's volunteering. It obviously, shared purpose, uh, elevated patriotism. Did you get a sense also of a, a, a greater spirituality among the troops, despite the whatever their level of religiosity? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there's a remarkable uh, embrace of tzitzis and tefillin, whatever. I mean, it, it, it's it's remar- the, the young people in Israel are are. Uh, incredible. I have to tell you, people forget what what they used to think, and, and it's a shame. I don't know. You, you remember the Oslo years. One of the things Yitzhak Rabin said repeatedly to the critics of Oslo, he said, you cannot expect the young people of today, meaning the 1990s, to have the same level of uh, commitment and ability and willingness to sacrifice as previous generations. Therefore, because the next generation isn't willing to make those sacrifices, we have to make a deal with the Palestinians. They said that over and over again. And of all of the things proven wrong, right, by, you know, uh, that were you know, ideas held by the architects of Oslo, and there were many things proven wrong, that to me is the most, is the most profound. They completely underestimated, right, young, young Israelis, completely. And, and the fact is the young Israelis today are just as committed, just as committed as previous generations. These kids are mo- highly motivated. The morale is through the roof. All right. So it, it's great once again to see you. We'll catch you again, hopefully next time. Be well, everyone. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom. Shalom.